Temba Malaba. Um, Debbie Temba and I have been friends. Um, we worked out and we've known each other for 28 years. And in fact, um, when Debbie and I planted our first church in Grahamstown in, in our 20s, um, Temba and another guy, Gareth Lowe, were the first pastors um, we raised up in, uh, in the ministry. And they're both uh, still um, ongoing, serving the Lord um, in, uh, in church leadership. I, I always say to Temba that actually, um, we, what actually happened was we invited Temba and Gareth onto what we called our year of your life team, where, you know, as a, um, when they graduated, they would just give a year of their life to the church to come and serve, but he misheard me, um, I, he believed that I said, here is your life, and so he's been in ministry ever since, so, but, um, you know, I just really want to honor Temba, because um, from the first days that we met him, he has just had this passion for evangelism, this passion for the gospel, to see people um, hear the gospel and come to know Jesus who don't know Jesus. And um, he, he uniquely in my mind, because Debbie and I led um, soul winning uh, training in Grandstone days. And I, I remember once going out with Temba soul winning. And um, the guy in the, knocked on the door and the guy in the room did not want to hear about Jesus and try to close the door. And Temba did not want to be defeated. He stuck his foot in the door so the guy couldn't close it. And the guy was like, I don't want to know about Jesus. And Temba was sticking his face and saying, you do want to know about Jesus. And uh, so he's just passionate to see people know Jesus. And he has pursued that relentlessly over the last 25 years and now stands in the office of the evangelist. Uh, Temba has been a, uh, a pastor in Grahamstown. He has been a campus pastor at Wits University. He, has, uh, he leads his own church in, uh, in Joburg right now. He's also started a ministry called um, Leading Evangelism in which he and his, uh, his wife actually they've started this ministry and he goes all around Africa um, training people to be evangelists. And so, um, and not only that, but he's a great friend. Man with a, he's, he's a really multifaceted man. I just want to tell you, one of the things I've loved about Temba over the years is he's so multifaceted. So he's got a great sense of humor and he's fun to hang with, but he's also got a really incisive mind. I remember as a young pastor, he was, he was difficult because he always used to ask difficult questions. Like, Nigel, what about this? What does the Bible say about this? And quite honestly, I was like, I don't know. Flipping it. And anyway, so because he couldn't get the answers from me, he would just go and read. And so he's got a great mind. Um, he's a great man. And it's really, really my great honor to welcome him to come and speak to us. So won't you stand and welcome him as... Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's great to be here this morning. Let's pray and dive into the Word. Are you guys ready? Awesome. Father, I thank you for your presence in this place, your sweet, sweet presence. And Father, I ask for your hand of blessing to be upon Infinite Church. 
What an honor it is to be right here. I remember back almost 30 years ago, uh, being part of that initial church plant in Grahamstown all those years ago. And all the fruit that has come of those labors, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, for Nigel and Debbie, the leaders in this church. I ask, Lord, that you'd strengthen them, that you'd encourage them, Lord. That you'd pour your joy into them, Lord, in increasing measures. I thank you, Lord God, that this church is going to bear fruit, Lord. That, that Lord, cannot be counted, cannot be um, measured and put in a, in a box, Lord, because of the God kind of fruit, the infinite kind of fruit. And Father, so we trust you, Lord God, for the move of God that you're doing in this place to expand and increase in Jesus' mighty name. And the people of God said, Amen, Amen, amen and Amen. So, turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, verse 32. Uh, we're going to look at a couple of texts this morning, one briefly, and then we're going to delve deeply into the second text. But the first one in Acts chapter 9, uh, we see a story about Peter, one of the apostles who hang out with Jesus, right? Uh, everyone knows that he was a fisherman. He seems to have had a fiery temperament. And not only that, but some say he was uh, a radical politically. So when we look at Peter, there's some things that we learn about his life and the things that he did. Acts chapter 9 verse 32. Are you there? Yes. Okay, so now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at, Lid at Lydda. Lydda, Lydda, that place, amen. amen. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda, and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Oh wow, how amazing that is. How many of us would love a life like Peter, right? Where we are like, just God is using us in incredible ways. And sometimes we can look at these giants and heroes of the faith, and wonder, how, how did he have the desire to do that? And there's a phrase here that says, that caught my attention, which says, Now Peter went here and there among them all. So Peter was searching, walking up and down in this district, looking for something. And he happens upon this man who's paralyzed for eight years, bedridden. And then he prays for him and he says, Jesus heals you. And then this guy rises up out of his bed. But the incredible thing is that the story doesn't end there. Because other people see this and the Bible says that two cities turn to the Lord. I love signs, wonders and miracles. Amen. And the purpose of signs, wonders and miracles is that people would experience and encounter the love of God. But also that the world would turn to their Savior. And I was looking at this and thinking about Peter. How did Peter become so passionate about souls? That he'll spend time going up and down through cities, looking, waiting for that opportunity to minister to people. What was it? And I believe there was a passion 
for souls that gripped him. There was a passion for souls that gripped Peter. Now, there's something that happens when you're around Jesus, right? When we're around Jesus, we can never get enough of the Jesus kind of stuff. And what we see Peter doing is actually what we saw Jesus doing. So Peter got a passion for people from watching Jesus. So this morning, I think we can do the same, right? We're going to double click on one of Jesus' stories and understand how we too can grow in this passion for people, right? Because we want to do this Jesus kind of stuff. So, Lord help us. Join me in John chapter 8. John chapter 8. There's a beautiful story about a woman that we're going to be reading about. And by the way, while you're turning there, this is my family. This is my family. Uh, my wife, Amy. Um, so we met in Grahamstown um, while uh, we were, uh, I was doing Year of Your Life, serving in the church. And she was uh, a student who came later. So she was like one of those mature students who came to Varsity. And we were friends for 10 years. Yes, 10 years. Nothing happened. 10 whole, cold, lonely years. <laughs> and then the scales fell from my eyes. And, uh, and we, we got married. And the result of marriage is these two wonderful kids. Our son, John David, our daughter, Leah. Uh, really awesome uh, kids. They're now 13 and 12 turning 12, 11, turning 12. Uh, no, she's 12 already. Ooh, she'll kill me if she hears this. Um, and so they, they are incredible um, kids, full of life and Jesus and nonsense. Uh, they're really incredible. They get Jesus from the mouth. I could go with that. I could go with that. Um, and you know, the amazing thing is um, we don't all start off by winning souls and um, you know who we hang out with will determine what rubs off on us and uh, my wife will tell you she's not an evangelist at all but she leads more people one-on-one -on -one to the Lord um, than I do in a year and it didn't start that way. We'll talk about evangelism. We'll talk about the need to reach people, etc. Um, she'll watch me. Uh, she'll, like, you know, follow what I'm doing. And then, like any good wife, do it better than her husband. Amen. <laughs> so. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, one of, the, one of the things we try to do is disciple our kids in the way of the Lord. The way that they should go. And so we sat down with our kids and we started to share the need for them to start to share the gospel with their friends um, and to take on what Jesus has asked us all to do. So our kids were keen to share the gospel uh, with kids, first of all, in our complex. We live in one of those residential complexes. And they went out one afternoon to go and find a friend or two that they could share the gospel with. So we took them through like basic outlines like you guys have been going through with the gospel to go and share. And um, that afternoon, they didn't find one or two friends. They found about seven friends who all came to the Lord that afternoon. Come on, and, um, Jesus! 
I mean, that's amazing. Um, and then they went to school and they started to share the gospel with their friends at school as well. And they started to see friends at school coming to the Lord. Uh, my daughter, Leah, um, started to, they both started running small groups. Uh, we call them like connect groups, like Bible study type groups at school. And um, these went into, uh, my son had a group uh, with about four or five boys. My daughter, you know, ladies always do it better, amen. Uh, she had like two groups running um, with about 15 odd kids um, that she was now discipling and had the privilege of leading to Christ. You know, sometimes we make things way too complicated when it comes to reaching the lost, right? And the driving passion, I think a, a, a story from my daughter, and then we'll go to John A. Uh, we're driving, and my, and my daughter has a realization that her best friend didn't know Christ and didn't have a real relationship with Christ. And she's driving with us and she says, Mommy, Daddy, I'm worried that my friend is going to go to hell. I'm, I'm worried because she doesn't know Jesus. And we're like, I think the Lord is saying that you need to share the gospel with her. Maybe you need to pray about it. So she created a play date to invite her friend around and shared the gospel with her friend. The friend gave her life to Christ. And the lesson in it is, why do we get those thoughts, that prodding? I think it's the Holy Spirit reminding us that, hey, hang on, we need to do something about the people he's highlighting in our lives. So, story of Jesus, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees. Oh, we love the scribes and the Pharisees, don't we? Boo! Boo! Okay, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law, Moses, commanded us to stone such a woman. So Jesus, <laughs> what to you say, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with a finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And at once, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they who have condemned you? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Amen. Amen. So let's break down this story. And if you are looking for a title for this sermon, it's called Passion for Souls. Find it and fuel it. Amen. And that's my desire that we would end up being like Peter with a passion, a desire 
to reach people just like Jesus did. And in this story, we see an incredible example of how Jesus reached a woman. The first place that we find passion in this story is from an unlikely source. We find passion for souls, passion for people from the scribes and the Pharisees. Why is that? Because the scribes and the Pharisees did something that a lot of us Christians don't do. What was that? They went where lost people are. They went to where the sinners are. I mean, their motives might have been a bit like dubious, but they went there. Amen. An amazing thing that I've found over the years is that passion for souls is found by going. Often we have a kind of chicken and egg scenario. We're like, hang on. Do I need to pray and trust the Lord for a passion for people, a love for people? Or do I go and in the process of going, do I get that love for people? And so for many years, I would be like, Lord, give me a heart that breaks for people. (laughs) I want to feel, I want to be moved with compassion. You know, the Bible says Jesus moved with compassion. So I was waiting to be moved. And like, I was like, no, I don't feel anything. Nothing, 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 nothing. And that was my excuse. I was waiting for an emotion. But I remember the day that it all changed. It was in my second year at university. I'd recently recommitted my life to the Lord. I found this church called His People on campus. Started attending Bible school. And at Bible school, we're told that, guys, you all need to go for soul winning training. Hmm. I'd never heard of soul winning training. What's soul winning training? So I said, no, that's where we train you in how to reach people for Christ and share the gospel. So I was like, oh, like, you know, is this Bible school? Is this another class just on Monday? I was like, okay, fine. I'll go, go to another class. Looks like it'd be interesting. Take some notes and carry on with my life. So I go Monday night, soul winning training. And Richard Pringle shares with us how to reach souls. And I was like, yeah, I know this scripture. Great scripture. Good. Mm, good. I'll give the training 10 out of 10. Great training. And as he finishes, he says, right, so you're going to get into pairs and practice. Ah, I can do that. So we like go through the outline together. And then um, I was sitting with a lady called Bronwyn. And after we've done our role play, Richard says to us, now we're going to go out and share the gospel. (laughs) And I was like, we're going to go and do what? Uh, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm just here to, to take notes. You know, it's my first time. I'm, I'm really not here to do this, like, share the gospel thing. Okay, I'm just here to, like, take notes. And um, the lady I was sitting with, as I was trying to make a Christian excuse, you know? You know Christian excuses? Uh, you've never made one, I'm sure, right? Like, you know, I'll do it next week. That was what I said. You know, I can't do it this week. I'll do it next week, knowing that next week there's no way... That I'm coming back here, right? That's a Christian excuse, right? It's like, you know, sounds all holy in that. So Bronwyn looks at me straight in the eyes and she says, Timber, are you ashamed of the gospel? So in my heart, I said, yes. But out of my mouth came, no. (laughs) So she said, let's go and share. 
So we went, and the reason I didn't want to go and share is because I didn't want to go and bump into people that I'd just been at the club with a few nights prior. Got silent in here. <laughs> so we went to Corey Matthews' resident Rhodes University campus, knocked on the first door, went inside, and this guy had repainted his room. Now all our rooms were white. He had painted his room black. His bed sheets were black. His duvet cover black. And he had candles that had been lit in his room. So this is the scene we walk into. <laughs> so now my job was to pray. And I thank God that my job was to pray. And Bronwyn like started to share the gospel with this guy. And as we were sharing the gospel, and I was busy praying, I realized something. I realized people are really lost. Really lost. And if we don't share the gospel, they have no hope. The guy was very pleasant. He listened to what we had to say. And then he said this. He said, I've already chosen who I will serve. I will not serve Jesus. And so we left that room. And I left realizing that I can't leave it as an optional extra in my Christian life to share the gospel. I need to come back. I need to share the gospel with whoever is willing to hear. That day, a passion for souls was birthed in my heart. Where did it come from? It didn't come from sitting. It went from going. Amen. So my first encouragement to you is to go. To go. You don't have to go perfectly. You don't have to know the gospel perfectly, all the right arguments and approaches. All you need to do is go. Be available. Amen. So the second thing we see in this passage that we've just read. The Pharisees say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses says to such a woman, Say, say, sorry. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Okay. This, this is fascinating for me. Because the second place of passion is that we develop passion when we actually have a revelation of how we see lost people. How we see people who are far from God. You see, they had a paradigm. They were coming out of an Old Testament paradigm. And their paradigm about lost people is that if you are lost and sinning, you need to be punished. And often as believers, we can have the same mindset. That we look at people according to the things they've done wrong, according to their past. Dare I say it, we look at people according to the law. Have you ever noticed sometimes as Christians... When we're around lost people, we've got like this fly swatter that we use. Whenever they sin, whenever they swear, we make them know all about it, right? Huh, you swore. Stop it. Why are you swearing? I'm a Christian. You're tainting me. Ah, why are you doing that? And we do, we do all of these weird Christian things. We're around sinning people. Guess what, people? Sinners sin. That's what they do. And sometimes we feel that their sin is going to taint our holiness. 
And as Christians were busy hide, hiding, saying, Oh God, I'm worried about my holiness. My holiness. These guys are tainting my holiness. Nothing can taint the holiness of God. Come on, Amen. Amen. So, the first move that these scribes and Pharisees had to transition was a realization by owning up to how they really viewed the situation. And if we want to be transformed into people who are passionate about souls, we've also got to have the same transformation. But I want to talk about the law for a moment. Because the law is biblical. It's the word of God. But what is the role of the law? I want us to see something here. The role of the law is first of all, according to Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8. The purpose of the law is to point out our faults. Paul says that the law is good. Because he would not have known what is sin apart from the law. Right? The law is good. We wouldn't know that there is a problem unless God said there's a problem. We'd just go, but I'm enjoying myself. This feels good. Amen? Now the Bible also says this. That the law has no solution apart from our own effort. Eesh. So when we know we're doing something wrong, the law says, good for you. Now you know you're doing something wrong. Then the law says, oops, you can't do anything about it except for try harder. Have you ever tried harder and been on that treadmill of try harder? And you realize that no matter how hard you try, you can never measure up, right? Now the problem with the law is that it stirs up the sin nature. That's what Paul says. He says the law stirs up the sin nature. Let me give you an example. Do not walk on the grass. Hmm. So like, do not walk on the grass. Like, like how close to the grass can I walk? Right? There's something about the law that just makes us like, say like, come on. Now some of you are like, looking at me blank. So let me give you another one. 60 kilometers an hour. Come on, people. Come on. Come on. You know? Whenever like 60, okay, 65, you know? But my, my GPS speed and what they'll trap me for. And come on. There's something about the law that stirs up the sin nature inside of us. And then it ends up causing us to fall into that sin, which leads us to what? To more self-effort to try and get right with God. So we realize we've blown it. Oh no. But then there's a, the more we're looking at this standard, the more it's stirring up something, we fall again. Help me, Jesus. But then the problem with the law is that it tells us that God's standard is perfection. <laughs> and so we all feel what? Doomed. Right? Because the law then leads to this. It points to our total inadequacy. Here's the deal. Someone who's hooked on drugs knows that doing drugs is wrong. And they must probably have tried in various ways to get off, but they can't. And now that they've blown it, they realize that 
they are not right with God. And nothing they can do can change their situation. It points to their total inadequacy. But the real purpose of the law is this. The purpose of the law is to point us to the need for a saviour. That's it. To point us to the need for a saviour. And unfortunately as believers, sometimes when we see people are doing something wrong, all we see is that they're doing something wrong. But it doesn't lead us to the point of saying, hang on, the only way out for you is you need a saviour. We all need Jesus. Amen. Amen. So let's carry on. And so they say, this woman should get stoned under the law. Jesus, what do you say? The third place that we get passion from is by asking Jesus, Jesus, how do you view this situation? Jesus, how do you view this woman? Caught in the very act of adultery. How do you view it? It's interesting how Jesus responds to the situation. Because his response helps them to see in a different way. I remember um, during my university days. So we start going out Monday nights. Uh, people are getting saved on campus. I go home for holidays in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And um, I started to share with my friends that we need to go out and share the gospel. So some of my friends are keen and we start going out onto the streets in Bulawayo, sharing the gospel. And one day we have a caucus. And um, my friends say, you know what's going to really clean up the sin in this city? Is if we go and reach the prostitutes. Oh, the prostitutes are destroying Bulawayo. We need to go and reach those prostitutes. So we jump in my dad's car. We drive to Borrowed Street. Um, opposite the swimming pool where the prostitutes are lined up and we park the car there, we jump out, we start walking towards the prostitutes. Oops, we realize that people might see the car parked where the prostitutes are. So we go back into the car, drive around the corner, park, a true story, park, <laughs> park the car, get out and go to where the prostitutes are. And when we're there, we walk up to this lady and I introduce myself. Hi, I'm Timber. This is my friend, Victor and Trevor. And we're here to speak to you about Jesus Christ. What's your name? And she says, my name is Precious. Wow. Wow. You know, that day, I got to understand the gospel in a whole different light. We saw a prostitute... God saw precious. Here we were, like in our cavalier approach of like religiousness, like trying to go and reach her, but we had no heart of love for her. And that broke. And that broke. Because her name was precious. We started to see prostitutes in a totally different, different light. Praise God, she gave her life to the Lord that night, despite us. Amen. How does God see people? God sees them as precious. How does God see this woman caught in the act of adultery? I don't know where the guy was. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to the guy. 
Or, you know, maybe it was one of the men standing. I don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus put value on this person that nobody else did. That's what God is like. So Jesus kneels down and starts writing on the ground. And I can finally tell you what he wrote on the ground. Do you want to know? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't say. So if anyone tells you that they know what the Bible says, they're they're lying. Amen. Because the Bible says this. It says that when they heard what he said, they left. Not when they read what he wrote, did they leave. Anyway, 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 anyway. I have a theory. <laughs> Many people do, but it doesn't say. Anyway. <laughs> so Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And at once he bent down wrote again. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone With the woman standing before him. You know what gives us passion for people is when we realize everyone needs mercy, including me. Everyone needs mercy, including me. What is mercy? Mercy is when you are guilty of doing something wrong and you don't get the punishment you deserve. That's mercy. So if you're driving down the road and you ignore that 60 sign and you're going 80, 100 and you're pulled over by the Metro Police and you know what's coming and they sit there and they start writing you a ticket and then they look at you and they say, you know what, today I'm going to let you off. You're free to go. What have you just received? You've just received mercy. And that's a picture of what we receive from God, every single one of us. And when we realize that we get from God what we don't deserve, we don't deserve mercy, we deserve judgment. And when we realize that we got mercy instead, it's easier to extend mercy to other people. May we be a people who are known for the mercy that we extend. Amen. You see, Jesus... In John 3 verse 17. The Bible says his mission was this. Everyone knows John 3 16 right? For God so. That he. Okay okay. That's that's a bearable pass. Okay. But verse 17 says what? For God did not send his son into the world to. Condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. You see, sometimes we've got the wrong mission. We feel that our mission as Christians is to go around condemning people. Wrong, naughty, don't do that. But it's not. Our mission is to go and save people, right? With the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a radical difference. That's a radical difference. Which mission are you on? I'm grateful that we get to tell the good news. I'm grateful that our mission is not to go around being the moral police. Amen. So, here's another place of passion. So Jesus is standing there with the woman. 
And he asked her the question, Where are those accusers of yours? Verse 10. Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This is fascinating for me because she had done something wrong. She was guilty under the law. And now she was let scot-free. Now, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So, so who, was, who took the punishment? Punishment was supposed to happen. Who took the punishment there? Well, I, I believe the answer is this. Jesus took the punishment. Because Jesus took her place. You see, the word condemn is a legal word. It's a legal word from the time that this passage was written. You were tried for things you had done, and there are one of two answers or outcomes to the trial. You are either found guilty and condemned, or found innocent and declared justified. Two legal words. Justified means you're innocent, you're now free, and condemned mean now you're going to receive the punishment because you're guilty. So, in this moment, we see a foreshadowing of the cross. In this moment, we see a foreshadowing of what was to take place when Jesus died on the cross. Because Jesus stood in our place. The Bible says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Jesus could say, you are not condemned any longer because He took her place. Wow. Wow. The Bible says, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, they become a new creation. You know, the gospel is so beautiful. It is such a beautiful story. And very simply, this is what the gospel is. It's the story of how God comes to you and me. So there's my, my uh, car family, car sticker family. And the gospel is that we're separated from God. God loves us, but we're separated through our rebellion. But Jesus died on the cross to do what? To make a way for our sins that separate us to no longer be an issue. But what does He give us in His place? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin to become sin for us. You see, Jesus takes our place. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God. So He takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness. What's righteousness? Righteousness is right standing. Right standing. Just as if we had never sinned. How does this change things? Well, firstly, it makes us acceptable to God. That's it. Jesus dying on the cross, taking our sins, and we're receiving the free gift of righteousness He gives to us, means that now we are good with God. That is fantastic news. What else? It means that now we can receive from God whatever He has for us, not on the basis of our works, our behavior, but on the basis of what Jesus has done. That is the good news. Jesus changes everything. Amen? Amen. 
But the story doesn't end there. He doesn't say, okay, woman, you're free, escape. He says to her, go and sin no more. Now the power of sin was broken. Amen? You know, when we see people caught up in sin, the good news is in Christ, the power of sin in your life will be broken. Whether it's drugs, deceptions, lies, depression, whatever the case is, the power of sin can be broken. Whether sin led to relational issues in your life, the power of sin can be broken. Whether there's a generational impact of your sin, whether it's poverty or whatever, whatever, the power of sin can be broken through what Jesus did on the cross for everyone. Amen? I want to end with some observations, some quick observations from the text. Number one, it's interesting in verse 2, the Bible's, verse 1, the Bible says um, Jesus went up the mountain. In the morning he came down from the Mount of Olives, verse 2, and he's sitting in the temple. And the setting for the story is in the temple. Jesus is teaching the masses. But something dramatic happens during this teaching moment. One person rocks up. My first observation is this, that Jesus left the masses he was teaching to go after the one. One person matters to God. One person matters to God. Here Peter was going up and down, up and down these different cities. And he sees one person who matters to God. He ministers to him. And a entire two villages comes to Christ. How amazing. What would happen if right here in Cape Town, Infinite decided that one person mattered? That we were willing to stop for one person. We were willing to take time for one person. Imagine what God would do. Question. How many of you are busier than God? <laughs> Who's busier than God here? Any takers? Any takers? Because the Bible says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some would count slowness, slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that you or any of you should perish, but that all of you should reach repentance. Patience is a time word, right? It's a time word. God is patient so that people can come to repentance. What would happen if we were also patient with the one? Jesus didn't just come in, rush in and rush out and say, Okay, tell me what the issue is, quickly get out. No, he took time with the one. He took time to minister to the one. And finally... There's a window of opportunity for us to act for the one. There's a window of... Jesus could have said, guys, I'm busy saving the world. This teaching here is being recorded for scripture. Do you mind? He could have said that. It would be legitimate. But Jesus took time for the one. He took time for her. And what did he do when he took time for her? He was willing was willing to do whatever it took because if he didn't seize that moment if he didn't seize that opportunity she would have been stoned to death folks there are real consequences for us acting with the gospel i've shared 
five points, and, and this really is to stir us up to, to think of people the way Jesus did. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would ask ourselves a question. Well, the question is this. Is my heart alive to lost people? Do I even see them? Do I even notice? Is my heart alive to lost people? I'd love to pray that God would give us His heart, His passion for lost people as we go. Can we do that? Go go off you stand with me please. Father, as we've read this story and gone through this text together, I pray that it'll not be lost on us that this is your heart for us. <laughs> that this is your heart for me. You're so passionate. You're willing to stop everything you're doing for me. For us. That Jesus, you take our place on the cross. And this morning, Father, we are asking that you'd give us a fresh passion for people. And right now, ask Holy Spirit that you'd come and pour out fresh love in our heart for lost people. Father, we choose to obey and to go. And Father, we thank you that as we go, we go with the whole of heaven with us. Not a part, not like, you know, a quarter percentage. You are there with us. That is your promise. That as we go, as we obey, you are there with us. And that's our expectation. That the God kind of stuff will happen as we go. You know folks, we're all called to share the gospel. But some of us might feel like we're actually called to do more than that. To do more than just share the gospel as we go around. But some of us feel like, you know, I actually am called to the gospel lane. I actually feel like I might even be an evangelist. I don't know, but I feel like I want to focus on reaching more people. Not just as like we're all called, but I feel I've called to do more. And if you're here this morning and that's you and you feel like, you know, I've got a stirring to reach people. And I'm asking God, God, help me. I want to do that. And, and I'm talking about those who feel like you, you might even be an evangelist. Or evangelistic. Let's call it evangelistic. You know, before you make business cards and stuff like that. Let's, just, let's call it evangelistic. You want to do more. And if that's you, I'd love to pray for you. Who's here this morning and says, Tim, that's me. I feel called to do more. To do more. Can I just say something about in, in the Word of God, the Bible says that if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. And if you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, you will receive a righteous man's reward. I want to just take a moment just to recognize Temba as the uh, man standing in the office of the evangelist. And as he lays hands on you, um, I believe he is going to release impartation of evangelism uh, this morning. And I want you to prepare your hearts that you're not just receiving from a great speaker and a good-looking man or, or a righteous man, but you are receiving 
from an evangelist so that you can open your heart to receive an evangelist's reward.